Welcome to episode 109 of the Greater Than Code podcast. I'm Rain Hendricks. I'm here with my good friend, John Sars. Thanks, Rain. And I'm here to introduce our guest, Jaya Ayer. Jaya is originally from India. However, she was inspired to leave the American dream. She moved to the U.S. from India, carrying nothing but a backpack of her belongings, along with a mountain of ambition. She worked hard to obtain a Ph.D. in fashion merchandising from Iowa State University. She taught fashion buying and wrote a textbook on the fashion in emerging markets, which is widely used in universities. She's also worked in apparel manufacturing and exporting. She's a former apparel buyer for the cult favorite Think Geek, which I love. Thanks to the inspiration from her daughter, Jaya founded Svaha and became determined to change the landscape of apparel. Jaya is the proud mother of two young children and enjoys nurturing her children's interests through fashion, adventures, science, and social responsibility. She is a world traveler and an artist. Welcome to the show, Jaya. Thank you so much for having me. So the question we always start the show with is, what is your superpower and how did you acquire it? I think that my superpower is being able to change any situation for the better. Uh, for example, the, uh, the whole idea of how I started this company was a situation that I was put into by my daughter. Uh, she wanted to wear clothing that had astronauts or any space theme on it because she wanted to grow up to be an astronaut. This was when she was two and a half. She no longer wants to be an astronaut now, but she did at that point. And uh, so she told me, why, why don't you ever buy me clothes which have those kind of designs? And I said, you know, I, I will look for them and I couldn't find them. And so I said, OK, I need to do something about this situation. And I started my company. So I think that that's one example of uh, how I changed uh, a situation that could have been a difficult one for me as a mom. Uh, into something that is uh, pretty amazing now. That's great. Uh, is that something you developed consciously or is it sort of an innate talent or some like, combination of the two? I think uh, I have always been able to do that. Growing up, uh, my father was in the uh, Air Force, the Indian Air Force. So I was always uh, in, in this situation of moving to a new place every three years, making new friends, being in very different kind of situations. And I think just all those experiences made me feel that I can either be upset about being in a difficult situation or I can do something about it. And I've always chose to do something about it. So I think that's what helped me develop this uh, ability. So this is going to be a pretty open-ended question. What does it take to change things? I think it takes courage. It takes a deep desire to make it happen. Uh, and I think it also requires a lot of support from the people. If there are people involved, then it takes the, su the support from people. For example, in the situation where I started my company, if my husband hadn't been the one telling me, go ahead, do it, and I, you know, I'll take care of things, I, I would have tried, but I feel like I was, it was much more comfortable for me to do that just because I had his support. When you see something and you think, you know, that could be different. I want that to be different. What happens next? So, for example, I'm going back to my company because it's something that is I'm, that consumes my life right now. Uh, so, for example, we started decided to make uh, kids' dresses. And then we had a lot of parents reach out to us saying that, hey, you know, I want to wear dresses like that too. Why don't you make for women? So I said, okay, we can try to do that. And although I had never really... I have been in the apparel industry, but creating a whole new line requires a lot more work and a lot more understanding uh, of what I'm trying to do here. So I figured out ways. I reached out to all the people I knew to help me in different aspects of creating something new. And uh, I said, OK, I'm going to make this happen. And then I, then I also saw what were the problems with women's clothing at this point. Of course, there were no science or technology themed clothing. Uh, which which is what I was going to do anyways. And I said, okay, so one of the problems I always have with my clothing is I don't have pockets in my clothes. And I always, every time I go for a party or even out for a meal with my husband, I don't like to carry a purse. So I always have to give him my ID and my credit card or whatever else, keys to have him put them in his pockets. So I said, okay, this is a problem. I don't, I don't want like this at all. So I said, okay, all my clothes are going to have pockets. And so I just uh, found a way to fix the problem. 
and I did it. And that's one of the biggest selling point of all the clothes that I have on my website right now is that everything we have has pockets. I'm sure that makes a lot of people happy. Very, very much so. And now it's difficult for me to wear any clothes that don't have pockets because I've gotten so used to them. Yeah, for a long time, I didn't realize how big of a problem pockets were in women's apparel. But I learned. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is so uh, liberating. <laughs> yeah, there was recently an episode of a podcast called Articles of Interest, which is about uh, fashion and the history of fashion and clothing and and fiber arts and um they had a whole episode dedicated just to the history of pockets specifically in women's clothing and how how they just evolved not to have any anymore and so it's a really interesting sort of analysis of how we ended up in this situation and now it's just sort of self-perpetuating at this point uh, i'll post a link in the show notes yeah in fact most of the clothes women's clothes used to have pockets before and they evolved into not having them. And now we're trying to take it all back. Uh, the whole handbag industry wanted to uh, promote the use of handbags. And they said, okay, if women have pockets, they're not going to use handbags. <laughs> so oh, yeah. let's take them off. <laughs> Lobbying by big handbag, I understand. Yep. <laughs> so you also talked about uh, adding science and technology themes to the clothing. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about that and how... Uh, that's underrepresented, especially in young children? Yeah, so I feel that when I was going shopping for my daughter uh, you know, a few years ago, if you enter a kid's clothing department, all you will see is a sea, a girl's department, I'm saying specifically, all you'll see is a sea of pinks and reds, oranges, yellows, all these colors, and princesses or cute puppies or cats or rainbows or unicorns. This is pretty much standard what you would see before. Things are changing slowly, uh, but it is still so far away from if a girl likes trains, it's very difficult to find something that has trains on it, for example, right? So I was just not okay with that at all. I said that if my daughter likes science, if she likes space, if she likes my daughter loves coding. She's learning to code. She's just turned seven. And I said, why should I not encourage her? Why should I make her feel at any point that it's not something for girls? Just because boys have clothes that have these kind of designs on them. So it started off as a kid's thing, a girl's thing. And then when a lot of parents started reaching out to us, women who work in technology or in, let's say, a, a woman who is a coder, she says that she's usually one or two of the two, a team of 200 men, mainly. And so she says that I, I somehow always feel like dressing up like my other team members that are all men. And she said, why should I have to do that? Why should, can't I wear a dress and still be a cool coder? Why do I have to be in a t-shirt and jeans just so I can look like a like a coder. I mean, what, what do you mean by look like a coder, right? There should be no definition of what a coder needs to look like. So that's the reason we decided that we were going to create these clothes for women. And for example, my business partner, uh, Eva, she uh, is a micro, she had studied uh, microbiology. She used to work in a lab and she loves wearing girly clothes, uh, like dresses and skirts and everything. And she would always have people tell her, you don't look like a scientist. <laughs> So she said, what exactly is a scientist supposed to look like? So now women love it that they're able to wear our clothes, show their love for science or technology or math or any field, actually, and feel feel good about it. You don't need to dress a certain way just because that is the norm. You can dress how you want to dress, do what you want to do and still feel great about everything. So that was the whole reason why we started the uh, women's line and the kind of reaction we get all the time from people is absolutely amazing. It makes us want to keep doing it. Well, I, I do look like a scientist because I am a scientist and I look like myself. <laughs> <laughs> but women are apparently supposed to not look a certain way if they're mm -hmm, scientists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even down to the level of t-shirt and jeans, so often all the coding t-shirts and the things that are given away as swag at conferences are all men's cuts and they probably aren't very flattering on women. So like even at that level, there's 
not the representation that there needs to be. I saw a, a conference that gave away um, a nail polish in one of the swag bags, and there were some men who had opinions about that. <laughs> that's crazy. I, I think the only response there is, yes, that's what it feels like when things aren't made for you. Now you know. I, I think they did a good job by giving a nail polish, actually. Made the men feel how women mm-hmm. usually feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 99% of the times, actually, right? Yeah, that's great. There are also uh, plenty it, of men who like nail polish. Then, then it's a win-win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, this year Twilio at, at RubyConf, the the Twilio booth had scrunchies, branded scrunchies, as part of their swag, which I thought was really cool. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the, the only people who lose are the assholes, and I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that occurred to me when thinking about this whole availability of clothing that that expresses who who you you know the parts of you that you want to express with your clothing it just makes me think about how personal clothing is you know it's worn directly on your body and it's one of those things that like I think everyone innately understands really expresses some part of yourself that you want to put out to the world and having a big gap in what's available to you uh, as far as what, how you're able to express yourself is a really sort of, I mean, you might want to call it a microaggression because it's not so overt and aggressive, but it's also such a hugely impactful thing that calling it micro seems, you know, problematic. Uh, And so I was thinking of it from that perspective and I I imagine you have similar thoughts. Actually, this was, this happened a couple of years ago uh, when we were very new which made us realize how important this is. There was a girl uh, who was wearing one of our science lab dress. Uh, it has a lot of beakers and a whole science experiment going on on the dress. It, I don't sell that anymore right now. But this girl was wearing it when she went out to uh, some party of some kind. And the people who came up to her to talk to her started talking to her about science. Uh, which is not normal. Most of the times when you come up, walk up to a six-year-old, five-year-old, you ask her, oh, who's your favorite cartoon character? Or if not, who's your favorite princess, uh, right? And to all of a sudden have this person come up to this girl and start talking about, so what kind of science experiments do you like? Or what about science do you like? It's such a, it's such a difference in what the communication between people is which I feel is just amazing because this girl now feels encouraged to talk more about science or do more science. And it, it just completely changes the conversation between people, uh, which I think is amazing. A lot of, we have had one woman who wrote to us, uh, she actually writes to us about all the different interactions that she has with people because of the clothes that she wears. Uh, so she says that I'm an introvert uh, and I have to go to meet clients quite often and all I have to do is wear a Swaha dress. And the person who I'm meeting starts the conversation. I don't even have to worry about it anymore. Uh, because most of the dresses, so for example, coding dresses, right? They have a C language or a Java script or Java uh, code language and just so many things. So everybody says, oh, does this code compile? What exactly is the output? And just so many things that you can discuss the minute people notice that, okay, there's something familiar about this uh, text on your dress. And it just makes people feel that they can connect with people and be able to uh, easily talk because now you're talking the language they understand, right? Because if, if I'm a coder and someone starts talking to me about coding, I immediately feel comfortable and I can immediately open up and I can have a nice discussion with this person. So it, it, I feel like it helps in so many different ways and so many different people have uh, different experiences wearing our clothes and that just makes us feel amazing yeah i think it also does a really good job of of fighting against stereotypes like even with even beyond starting a conversation just the fact that the female bodied person is out there very obviously being interested in science or code or whatever the dress has on it is just fighting against that. Oh, well, I'm not going to talk to that person about sciencey things because they're probably not technical and it preempts that stereotyping, which is really powerful. Yeah. And what is unique, we also do is a lot of most of our kids t-shirts, for example, they're all educational in some way. So for example, we have a 
we have something as unique as a Scoville scale uh, with all the chili peppers as to what the hotness of the pepper is based on uh, you know the Scoville scale index. And then we have types of clouds. Uh, we have metamorphosis. We have so many different things that I feel that when somebody is wearing this, you're almost inviting the person who's looking at you to come and talk to you to ask you, oh, so what do you know about Scoville scale? Or what do you know about types of clouds that there are, or even categories of hurricane on a dress, right? What category hurricane has what wind speeds? I feel like if you're wearing something, you can make it look nice. It has nice, vibrant colors. And you're able to teach yourself or even the person who you're talking to something. So I feel like uh, th that also makes such a huge difference to, uh, you know, to the clothes that you wear and how it completely changes your perspective on this. So I'm just thinking about the change that this is making culturally. It, it seems significant to me. It's not just putting a new you know, coat of paint. It's really about seeing people in a different way and letting people express themselves in ways that they couldn't before. That seems meaningful to me. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it just makes people feel that there is no limit for anyone. There is no box that someone needs to fit into. Uh, it's an open, wide world. You can do what interests you. There is no stereotype for anything. You, we, we don't just have STEM-themed clothing. We call ourselves a STEAM theme. So if you're interested in arts, so be it. For example, you go and look for clothes in a boys' department. Like we were, I've been only talking about girls. So now let's go to boys. There's a, there are boys who like butterflies. But can you find a boy's clothing with butterfly on it? Because butterfly is supposed to be girly. So you cannot. But now I have a purple metamorphosis t-shirt, which a boy is completely comfortable wearing because now it becomes science, right? Because you're talking about metamorphosis here. You're not just talking about a butterfly or a flower. So this is why most of almost everything that we sell is unisex, uh, which basically makes a boy feel as comfortable wearing as a girl. And uh, that's the whole idea is that we are not just here talking about, oh, girls should be able to do anything they feel like. It also means boys should feel completely comfortable doing whatever they want to do, too, uh, because uh, at a certain level, it also impacts boys in a lot of ways. Uh, you go to a boys department, the only colors you will see is red, gray, black and blue. Uh, you really don't see any other colors. So most of our customers say that I'm so happy that my son can finally wear a bright color. And it actually has tornadoes on it. It goes really well. You know, it's, it's uh, my boy likes tornado and he likes, you know, pink color, for example. Why not make tornadoes on a pink shirt? What's the big deal? So we basically want to completely shatter all the stereotypes that are there. And it is totally fine to, to be what you want to be, wear what you want to wear. And it's, it's perfectly okay. This, this seems like especially for kids, it would make a difference in their self-esteem too. You know, being able to have those possibilities that, that weren't available to them before to express themselves in a way that is, you know, congruent with their identity. It seems like that that would be a big deal for someone's self-esteem. Yeah, absolutely. Not just at kids' level. For example, I like I used to work at Think Geek, right? So most of the uh, customers were men buying geeky t-shirts and it was awesome. Yeah, it, it sells really well. So we do have t-shirts now in my company, but it just was like if you it's it's fine for a woman to be geeky and show her geekiness through dresses. It doesn't have to be just a t-shirt with a, you know, geeky something on it. <laughs> so I feel that being able to feel good in what you're wearing, it definitely is going to boost your self-esteem. And even, for example, let's say there's a teacher who teaches math to a group of kids who probably don't enjoy math as much. Uh, but she, if she is showing her love for math through her math dress, for example, the kids suddenly want to find, ask her, oh, what's on your dress? What is this? What is that? And so they, the teachers have, the, many of the teachers, school teachers are our customers. And they come and tell us that, hey, you know, my, my kids are suddenly interested now in math because they want to know what's on my dress. 
So I'm able to teach them the concept now through what I'm wearing. <laughs> so which is amazing to us. We're like, okay, anything to get kids interested in math, right? It helps in so many different ways. Uh, just the self-esteem, the interest in people, the conversations between people. There is uh, there are just so many different things uh, that these clothes help with. I wonder if, if there are some people listening who are thinking, well, they're just clothes. Like, who, who cares about clothes or just these material things, right? But they're really tied up in, in your identity. You know, the way you can present yourself to the world is is really important. Yeah, exactly. So if you're wearing a, wearing something and you can feel good about being able to show your interest through that clothing, why not, right? And also our clothes are uh, the most comfortable. So it's not like you're putting yourself in some kind of discomfort wearing a six-inch high heel kind of discomfort, but no. So it's this is... Our clothes, what people say is that, okay, I can show my interest. I can put it in the washing machine, just throw it in there, don't need to iron it, put it back on, and I have pockets. It, it just makes a huge difference. Most of the people, professionals, they don't have time for maintaining their clothes, right? Uh, unless you have someone to do that for you. <laughs> but uh, school teachers, professionals, how much time does, does anyone have? So being able, if you're wearing something that you think looks good, shows your love for a subject and is low maintenance, why not? Why, why should I wear something boring plain when I can wear something fun, which starts a lot of conversations for me? So for, for folks who don't know John, John has bright fuchsia hair, or maybe it's magenta. I love and it. if you couldn't get hair that color, John would still be John, but people would perceive John differently. Yeah, it's true. It definitely is. Well, at this point, it's part of my brand, I guess. <laughs> but it, it definitely is, again, like like with the clothing, it's one of those things that I use to, to express parts of myself. Exactly. And just the way you are completely free to express how, yourself in however you want to, that should be the case for everyone, right? And that's what I like to teach through my clothing. I like My kids are constantly... I don't think at this point my kids ever question, oh, can I become some profession, right? My daughter at some point started getting interested in digging out rocks from my uh, from the backyard. And she said, oh, I want to be a geologist. Uh, can women be geologists? I was like, you never have to question that. You can be whatever you want to be. So I, I, have, a, I have a skirt which shows the layers of uh, a rock, uh, layers of... Uh, so... And most many people who buy that obviously are geologists or people who are just interested in geology. And, uh, and, and I just think that it's great. It's great that um, because how many people, how many women geologists do you know, right? Or how many women can actually start a conversation now that they're wearing that skirt, people come up to them and ask them, hey, that looks like rock layers. So then the person can say, yes, I'm a geologist. <laughs> And that's just so awesome. A reason that I think what you're doing is important is if you think about what John was talking about, about stereotypes and how, and how, you know, female presenting people are stereotyped into not caring about STEM and things like that. This is a system that's based on feedback, right? So the clothes that you can wear influence people's perceptions of you. And that creates a stereotype, which influences what clothes people make for those people, which, and so this feedback, this is a vicious cycle, right? And the thing that you do when you have these feedback systems is you find a place a human can make a different decision to do something differently to adjust the feedback mechanism. And that's what you're doing. Exactly. And the thing is, sometimes the stereotype gets, it, it, it expands so much that it just creates a norm in the society. And now we are heading to this system where people don't want to follow norms people don't want to do what is expected of them and i think as uh, as a lot of parents these days they don't want to def define anything for their children they want them to explore and figure out what they want to do on their own which is amazing right because most of for example most of the design ideas that we the designs that we create come from our customers so these are people who want to wear these clothes. So there is, we know that there's a need for it. Uh, there are people who, who tell us, okay, why don't you make a, 
uh, design. So, for example, we have had a lot of people right now reach out to us saying that they want us to make scrubs because they say that I want to show that I love what I'm doing and my scrubs are really plain and boring right now. I want to wear scrubs with designs on them. So we made a DNA and a red blood cell scrub. And these are people who are in the medical field, so they just love it. And uh, I think that it's just so important to do uh, something like that because there's definitely a need for it and we have felt it and we know it because our company is growing at a very fast pace. The other thing that you're doing that I think is great is when you look at this feedback system, there are different places in it where someone could try to make a change. And they have you know different impacts, different amounts of leverage. There are people who try to approach this problem by complaining about how advertising works. And that's a thing you can do and it has some effect, but I think what you're doing has much more leverage. You're saying in terms of getting uh, input from our customers? I, I, I think in terms of breaking this feedback cycle, I think that making new choices for people to wear has more of an effect on this self-reinforcing stereotype than arguing against the existence of the stereotype. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole idea of my company is from getting that feedback from parents, right? So uh, first, my, my me getting a feedback from my daughter and me doing something about it, and then the parents giving us feedback about what they want. And that's how we've been expanding uh, in a big way. For, so that's like I spoke about the scrubs. Uh, that was something that came from customers. Our next line of things that we are making are lanyards. I mean, although it's so far away from clothing, but there are teachers who are our customers and they say, I wear boring lanyards all day long. Why don't you make me some science themed or technology themed lanyards? And I'm like, sure, we'll make it. Uh, and of course, we're going to make it with a pocket in the back <laughs> so you can put your stuff. We stick to our pockets and everything theme. Uh, we are making leggings based on feedback from people with pockets again. And yeah, so we, we've totally, completely made use of uh, all of this, um, the, the demand in the market and the feedback that we get from people, for sure. Yeah, We're is... not, definitely not going anywhere based on what people believe is right uh, in terms of clothing. This is a great example of how these things that have social impact can also be really good business decisions because... There are lots of markets like this where half of the market is unserviced because no one asks women what they want. Yeah, exactly. Can you believe that? <laughs> and women are actually the primary uh, shoppers in a family, if you think about it. They are the ones who shop for their children most of the times. Uh, that, uh, so it's just crazy that they are not being listened to. Uh, when they are the ones who will be shopping for their husbands or their uh, brothers or children or parents or whoever else. And, you know, it says a lot that I, I'm sure you do marketing, but so much of your business, you know, came to you. You know, it yeah. says a lot about the, the demand for this sort of a thing. Absolutely. And our referral pro, we have a referral program. It's it's extremely successful because people, when they wear our clothes, they feel so good about it that they want everyone to know about it. There are people who always tell us, when you ship my order, can you please put in some of your business cards inside because I like to carry them in my pocket and hand out to people every time I, I, someone stops me. And they say that we always get stopped uh, in different places when we are wearing your clothes because people want to know where we got them from. So it's uh, it's it's really cool. Yeah, I like that you're you're building yourself based on feedback from your customers, like rather than sort of setting out a grand plan of we're going to make these sorts of clothings and we're going to have these designs on them all up front. You're started small and just iterate and get feedback from people and say, hey, why don't you add geology or why don't you add weather or why don't you add um, DNA and like so you can grow organically but also grow in response to the people out there that want these things rather than just sort of deciding up front sort of how you want to serve the market yeah um, in fact social media is, has helped us a lot in that sense we constantly put up questions for our customers we tell them okay how about today we discuss science ideas and that usually that is the, the one post that will get maximum number of feedback and comments because people want us to make what they love. So we, we, we always listen. We always have this long list that we create after every such post 
So we have enough design ideas to last us through a year almost. <laughs> so. so we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but I, I wanted to sort of ask again now that we have a lot more context, uh, and maybe in a, in a different way. So imagine there's someone who is like you when you got started, maybe in a different market, maybe with a different idea, but they see some thing they want to do that has this social impact and they want it to be sustainable as a business. What would they do? How did they get started? The thing that I benefited from was, of course, I had a background in uh, fashion and in uh, apparel. So I think it's very important to study what it would take to come up with a solution for the problem that they see, right? In terms of First of all, are there going to be people interested? Are they going to be? And one of the ways to do that is, like I did, is through a camp, a Kickstarter or crowdfunding campaign of any kind, right? So I started off with a Kickstarter campaign, uh, which gave me a sense of: is there a market for this product? Are there going to be people interested in buying? And this way, I didn't even have to invest all of my money in it, uh, because you usually get orders and then you get the money also for it, and then you uh, get the products. Because otherwise, people can go start want to start really big because they really believe in their idea without really finding out if people are actually going to want it. Uh, so, to I I always feel that you have to start small unless it's a product that requires a lot of tooling and you know other other things like that. I think that it's very important to do your research to find out what is your ability to actually create that product if there's a market for that product and then be able to present that product uh, to people. And I think it's also important to understand that it, it is important to create a series of products. It cannot be one product, right? Because you can't start a business with one product and just have that product because there is always going to be a time when it's going to be done and then you need it. You need something to add. And I couldn't have just, I started with t-shirts, but I couldn't have just done that. Right. I had to expand and grow and I also feel that I have always associated causes with my um, products. For example, we are constantly raising money for some organization, for something. For example, right now we have a dress which has uh, cooking utensils on it, for example. And then that is 50% of our profits we are donating to um, for childhood hunger. Uh, you know, so so we always associate, associate ourselves with causes like that. And I think it's important because... People want to be associated with companies that are doing something good for, for the society. So these are just a few of the things. But I think the most important part is a good understanding of what the product is going to be. What is it going to take to make it? Your understanding of the process and understanding of a market for the product. Those are some of the most important things I feel. Uh, and I feel like just because I had been in this industry before I have been in this industry for a long time, I was able to do those kind of things to make what I did have happen. Creative Encode is sponsored by Crickstart, which you've heard about on a couple of earlier episodes. Now, I really enjoy eating crickets. I think they're very tasty, but not everybody does. However, you can eat Crickstart foods without having to enjoy crickets because you can't actually taste them in there. Now, Crickstart are organic snacks made with cricket powder. The cricket powder is made from organically farmed free-range crickets, and they include other things like seed butters, hemp, chocolate, dates, and it's all organic. The bars are delicious. The crackers are really tasty. I really like the um, olive-flavored ones. What I love about the bars is that you can have them on the go and still get a complete nutrition with no refined sugars. So Crickstart foods are have a very balanced macronutrient profile, so they make a good pre- or post-workout snack, or even just a snack at the office or on the go. Fun fact, there are over 40 crickets in every Crickstart bar and over 100 in every cracker bag. They're super tasty, and you can try them out at crickstart.com, and you'll get 20% off with the promo code greater than code, all one word. Crickstart, what if your food had more crickets in it? <laughs> <laughs> You know, we used to sell those with, I think, I don't know if this was the same brand, but we used to sell them at Think Geek. And everybody used to love trying out all the samples. I, I didn't dare to, but. <laughs> Crickstart, the food you love, now with crickets. <laughs> <laughs> 
They should hire me, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you get another job going, that's good. <laughs> okay, back to your very excellent question. Yeah, uh, so I wanted to ask if there were, like, some really concrete things that you think would be helpful. Do you think it's helpful to start an online MBA course so you can learn how business works? Do you think that's good or necessary? I, of course, I'm always a proponent of education. I think, I mean, I have studied for so many years of my life. I have two masters, an undergrad and a PhD. So I'm never going to say no to education. But I feel that as long as you're able to research really well as to what you want to do, and if you don't have the means, if you if you have the means, then yes, of course, an MBA would give you a much better understanding of, you know, the way the, the business world works. But if you don't, then I think it's very important that you spend a lot of time researching the product that you want, want to create and the market for it. Yeah, as, as someone who has effectively no formal education, I can tell you that there are other ways, but they will be much harder in some ways, although possibly easier in other ways. Yeah, for sure. Also, I feel like it it helps with a lot of networking when you're studying. You get to meet people who are like-minded and uh, just sometimes talking to people that are with you can help get uh, understanding of a situation a lot better. For example, when I started the company, I knew about the the actual product aspect of the business, right? I knew how to get the designs made. I knew how to get the clothing made. I knew how to price a product, how to sell it and all of that. But I had no idea about how to create a website because I'm not a technical person that way. And I didn't know how customer service part of it works, the inventory management, the fulfillment, all of that works. And my business partner used to actually do all of those things at Thingeek. So it just so happened that she at that time was looking to do something and she asked me that if she can join me and I was looking for someone because I figured out that I cannot do all of this by myself because I do need someone else to do a part of it that I'm not good at. And so she did it and uh, we were able to work, you you know, use both of our uh, knowledge together and uh, make this happen. So I think it's important. I, I feel there are a lot of people who do this all by themselves, but I think it's really important to have one other partner with you just so that you can bounce off your ideas with that person. Sometimes you might not see problems and the other person can or, or the other way around. So it's really important to have people that you can talk to who understand your vision and are able to help guide you in some ways. So now that you're well on your way to tearing down the patriarchy, are there any other power structures that you're going to take on next? (laughs) (laughs) To completely dominate this entire market. (laughs) That's what I want to do. I want, if somebody wants to buy anything science, they know where to get it. Uh, Or anything, you know, like starting from head to toe, hats to socks to shoes to bags to at some point you know plates and mugs and sheets uh sheets i already recognize as a huge problem because if i try to go and buy sheets for my daughter all i can find is pink and princesses and maybe dogs and rainbows that's about it so uh, definitely i i want to expand and just just conquer this whole uh steam market to be so that if you ever want know that if you need to buy Something with beakers on it. You know where to come. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll scope that down a little bit and talk about things that are coming up in the next year. Yes. So we have started working on the designs. And what we are doing next year is we're definitely going to have backpacks for back to school. We're going to have laptop bags and laptop case covers, and those sleeves around graduation time. Uh, We're going to have a new range of leggings with pockets for women. Um, Right now, there are leggings available with pockets for women uh, from other places, but of course, they don't have science or technology or engineering theme design. So ours ours will have that. And like I mentioned, we're doing lanyards. And um, we are also talking about doing subscription boxes from next year. Who wouldn't want a pair of uh, really 
uh, amazing printed dress for much less if you have a subscription box than what we sell for right now. So, so those are some of the things that are happening in the first half of the year. And then as we move on, we're going to add uh, more things. So right now you're selling entirely online, correct? Yes, we are absolutely completely online. We do. We have started going. We've just been to one or two of these conferences. Uh, we have. We went to a conference in DC uh, called Wonder Women in Tech, and we got a lot of good response. So we're planning to start going and selling at these conferences. It's also a great way for us to meet our customers and or have new customers because they see our products. A lot of people are still wary about shopping you know, from a small online company, right? Because they don't know who we are. Uh, and going to these conferences will actually expose uh, them to our products. So we're going to do that. We do have a couple of wholesalers who sell, they buy from us and sell in their stores, but it's not a big part of our, uh, our product sale. Yeah, the comforts and trade show uh, ideas is actually sounds like a really good uh, marketing venue. Yeah, it is. It's just that we are such a small team still that to send half of the team somewhere, it's going to be a task. But we do plan to do that, uh, at least do some of the big ones. And this is all coming from our customers. They sent us this long list of conferences that they think we should attend. We obviously cannot. If we, if we did all of the ones they sent, we'll probably be on the road for the rest of the year. But... We don't plan to do that. We do plan to go to a few next year. Can you talk a little bit about some of the, the challenges you might have faced while you were getting this up and running and, and trying to grow the business? Yes, lots of them. <laughs> there is no business without challenges, right? So one of the biggest challenges that we had initially when we started off was the website itself because both of us my my partner and I both of us weren't really familiar with how to operate and run a like on a, a website and we tried to actually start off with wordpress believe it or not we and then it just was just too much dependence on a coder to help us for every little thing that we did and we didn't want to spend too much money moving on to any of these, uh, you know, where they, they have everything prepared for you. And we decided that, okay, if we wanted to grow, we had to do something about it. So we decided to move to Shopify. And uh, that has made a huge, huge difference for us. I think that was a difficult decision because it's expensive, but it was also one of the most, the, the best decision to make actually to move over there because it just made our life so much simpler. You don't need to be a coder to, to be able to use that. So that was one of the biggest challenges. The second one was we still consider ourselves a startup. So to hire the right kind of people was another one of the big challenges because you can get a professional person who's worked for many years. And then, of course, you have to pay them so much, which we can't always afford to because we are still a small company. So to be able to find the right people to work for us who understand that we're still a startup startup company and, you know, it, there are no, it's not a nine-to-five job. You'll have to probably work longer, work from home, and all of those things. So I think um, that was kind of challenging, but now we do have a good group of people that work for us. Uh, and we are also uh, expanding uh, and pretty fast. Then the other thing is to also not always know as to how big or small an event is going to be for you. For example, last year, uh, this, uh, 2017, we, uh, we decided to do a huge event with March for Science, which was in its first year really, really big, right? And... So we, when we started doing that, all of a sudden we got so many new customers because all the women who wanted to go for this event wanted to wear science clothes. And we completely sold out of, of almost all of our inventory. Our warehouse was empty, like literally. And then we were like, okay, we, how much do we buy? Because are these people going to just keep coming back and buying more? Or are they just going to buy because they had this event where they wanted to wear our clothes and not going to buy anymore? So to be able to make that decision uh, for every holiday season or every time, one of the big things for us is Pi Day, right, in March. And we always have products for it. But how much do we buy? Because last year we had these many customers. This year we have so many customers. But are they all going to buy Pi? How many of our customers are math lovers or science lovers, right? It's always a toss-up over there. <laughs> we just have to 
make our best guess and uh, do what we think is right. So thankfully, we have not had to invest any money because that can actually be a big challenge in a lot of companies which are investment heavy companies. But we have been able to put back what we make from the business back into the business to expand. So until now, we've been able to do that. And that actually is very comforting in a lot of ways, because otherwise there's no limit to how much you can keep putting into a company. So these these were some of the challenges that I can think of offhand. There are always everyday challenges, but nothing that big. So the takeaway there is to avoid any business that involves warehouse logistics. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just work from home. <laughs> Use your basement. You know, the first two years, we actually worked out of our basement. My my business partner had a big basement. <laughs> so we put everything in her house. And then finally, when the boxes started creeping into her living room and her garage, and she had to start parking her car outside, <laughs> we decided it was time to move to a warehouse. <laughs> so we have only been in a warehouse for about a year and a month. That's about it. It seems like saving those growth points for when I think the rule is sort of grow when it hurts is or hire when it hurts to not have hired and get a warehouse when it hurts not to have a warehouse. I think that seems to apply in, in this case pretty well. Yeah, because a lot of times it's really easy to have a third party warehouse, for example, right? But for every garment that you ship, then you end up having to pay them so much that it just is totally not worth it. So we we decided that we were going to do everything based on the need for it at that point. If we felt that, okay, now we have some extra money, let's introduce more products, right? And we did it like that. So we never ever decided, okay, let's put $100,000 into this business and let's see what happens and then we lose all the money, right? We, we just definitely didn't want to do that at all. So we did it slowly, and as we were growing, we increased the product categories, we listened to what our customers wanted, and just went on like that. And I think that has served as well. Yeah, that's that's sort of a refreshing way to grow because it's based on actual demand rather than the sort of typical venture capital-funded sort of dump however many millions of dollars in and try and grow as fast as possible, you know, screw the sustainability and screw the work life balance and, you know, screw the workers who are trying to scramble to, to grow that fast. And, and the, and the culture of the company is it gets really distorted because you've just added 50 new people and they haven't all been trained up yet. So I think it's much more humane way of growing a company to let it work organically like that. Yeah. And our, our, Aim eventually is to grow, but we don't want to do it so fast that we can't keep up with it, right? So I have two kids. My business partner has four kids. Our employees are all, you know, they have their own things. And we are totally okay with people working from home or, you know, just doing however so that it is actually fun to work in this environment rather than stressful, so, so it's been, it's been great. It's been, I'm sure it could have been probably done much faster if we had a hundred million dollars poured into the company, but I'm not sure if that would be the right way to do it. So there's no limit of how much you can spend on marketing, right? You can just go on and on and pour hundreds and thousands of dollars in it and uh, hire a celebrity to wear your clothes. And for us, we've just let it all happen organically. And it's, it's been great this way. Can I just... It doesn't mean we haven't grown, you know. We have grown a lot, um, but we like it this way. Can I just mention that this, what you're describing, is the core thing that Lean, Kanban, the Toyota Way, etc. do, which is they let demand pull work through the system. And it's really awesome, isn't it? They have done well. Like, if you so want to know how those... for us. <laughs> if you want to know how those things work, it's two things. It's let demand pull work through the system and empower workers to make decisions. Do those two things. Everything else will come. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> those were very, very important points, though, right? I am totally with you on that. So at the end of the show, we like to do what we call reflections, which is basically just each of us talking about the things that have impacted us most from this episode, whether it's a new idea or just something we're going to be thinking about or a new way of looking at a situation. 
So I think for me, it, this is related to what I was talking about earlier, where as I was leading into this episode and the more we've talked about it now, thinking about how important it is to be able to have clothing that can really express who you are and, and help validate the parts of your identity that that you want to have socially validated. Uh, I think it's a it's a really valuable thing when you can see that represented out in the market and you're not just left to either make your own or feel like there's just not a place for you in that sort of a world. So I think it's, it's incredibly valuable to be able to give that to someone. So thank you for that, Jaya. So when I think about Jaya's story, I, it's tempting to think, well, that was a very unique opportunity that she had. You know, she had a PhD in fashion merchandising. She started a, a fashion merchandise business. That was convenient. And, you know, how, how replicable is that? How, you know, it may seem like that is a unique situation that only she, you know, could take advantage of. But I think the reality is that all of our opportunities are unique to us. No one else has. And so you can find the one that works for you and you can work to make it happen. It's, she didn't just accidentally have a PhD. She worked, right, to get it. So it's about, you know, realizing which opportunities we have and working to make more of them. Exactly. And to actually come back to your point right now is this was not my first business venture. This was my fourth business venture. So I have failed many times before I decided I was not going to give up and I was going to keep trying. So that is one of the most important points is that the first time you fail does not mean that you're going to fail every time. If I had given up, I wouldn't have done what I just did is start this awesome company. It took you so five years great. to be an overnight success. <laughs> yeah. Yes, never give up is the bottom line. <laughs> Greater Than Code is uh, supported by listeners like you. Uh, and you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash greater than code. And when you do that and contribute at any level, you will be given uh, access to our private Slack community where you can join other people who are really interested in all the things we talk about. Some of the guests are on there and we can have we have fantastic conversations all the time. So go to patreon.com slash greater than code and join there. Well, it was great talking with you, Jaya. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. <laughs>